Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. Some of those friends uh, at the time, they were very supportive. They they told me that you're only going to get that opportunity once in a lifetime, so you might as well go for it. I really had two choices. The way I look at it, one is that I embrace being the She Bangs guy, or, or the other one is to just hide in fear and hope people will forget about me. But I had, I feel that in my life, I have, to ch- I need to choose to stand up for myself. I want people to know my story. I want people to know who I am, uh, not just a potentially fabricated version of the story that people are, are circulating. I felt like when, when I do my day job, I don't feel like I'm myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm solving problems for people and making a difference, but I don't feel that, that, that I'm making a huge impact, you know, being the average cubicle guy. But then people gave me some feedback and they told me that I really should use, uh, emphasize something related to having courage or turning fears into courage because that gives me the most credibility. So now I really going for something along the lines of helping people find that courageous voice because I feel that I want to work with people that want to build their own business using speaking. So that's, I want to capture that. So my end goal for having this new podcast is to build relationships with people. It's not about money. It's about learning from the other person uh, and, and then in figuring out those what, what are some things that I can use to improve my business, improve how I connect with other people, how I can help people. Hi there. I am so thrilled that you're back for another episode of The Face Road. Woohoo! Here's what I want to share with you. Quick fact about podcasts. Number two, as of 2018, 44% of the U.S. population has listened to podcasts. I guess that doesn't really surprise you. But the second fact is that 49% of all the listenings is actually done at home and 22% of them done in the car. So I hope you add our podcast to your list of rotations. It takes one click to subscribe and that simple act helps us keep moving forward. So thank you. Today, I have a rather unusual guest on the show, William James Hung. William Hung is a Hong Kong-born American former singer who gained fame in early 2004 as a result of his off-key audition performance of Ricky Martin's hit song, She Bangs, on the third season of the television series, American Idol. Soon after American Idol ended, William landed a number of gigs as a singer and appeared on some of the top American shows, such as Jimmy Kimmel Live, on air with Ryan Seacrest, 
Entertainment Tonight, David Letterman, The Howard Stern Radio Show, and The Ellen DeGeneres Show, among many others. But he has a story left to tell. Well, many people think he simply put on an act to embarrass himself. The truth was far from it. He wanted to sing and get on stage. This is what our conversation's about. Fast forward 14 years, William has released two albums, but is also looking to try other things in life. For example, becoming a coach and help others overcome adversity. He's still figuring things out, and talking to him was just fascinating. Hey, quick announcement. FaceWorld is releasing the first ever online course called Reaching Billions. I am so excited. This course will help podcasters, especially English or non-Chinese speaking podcasters, launch their shows in China without learning a word in Chinese. If this interests you or someone you know, please visit faceworld.com forward slash course. FaceWorld, once again, is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D.com. That's it from me. Please welcome William Hong to the FaceWorld podcast. William Hong, thank you so much for joining me on Face World. We both look forward to recording this episode for a number of weeks at this point. Um, welcome. Thank you, Faye. So I want to say that the way that you introduced yourself to me was actually through Facebook message, which I only learned how to use maybe about a year ago or so. Uh, you were very genuine in introducing me to a podcasting event, which immediately made me think that you're also a podcaster yourself and a topic we probably want to catch up on and talk about today. But it took me a while, a number of weeks, for, for me to still not realize that I may have known you from a previous occasion until my producer, Adam Leffert, showed up in my office and said, wait a minute, I think that's the William Hung from American Idol. That's sort of what sparked the sort of the conversation and not because of that incident, but also I realized that I was ignorant and I didn't quite piece everything together. So I would love uh, for my audience and for people who listen to this to know the backstory because you and I caught up briefly. And, you know, at the time, I couldn't believe that it was 15 years ago that you are just a student uh, in college, I believe. And you sign up for American Idol, I believe it was the first or even the second season. Tell us about that process. That what made you decide to sign up to be a contestant? Well, it was season three uh, back in 2003, like you said. And what happened was that when I was growing up, I was getting good grades in middle school and high school. And my dream at the time was to become a civil engineer. But once I got into it, I felt miserable. So one day, I saw a poster for a school talent show at the Clark Kerr dormitories. And I, think, I figured, why not? Let's go for it. And I sang what, my favorite song, She Bang, by Ricky Martin, and somehow won the talent show. Well, right afterwards, one evening, I heard on Fox News that American Idol Auditions was coming over to San Francisco. So... I knew I wanted to audition, but I couldn't tell my Asian parents because you know what they're like. They're going to tell you to, to be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, anything but an entertainer. Mm -hmm. 
the good news was that I was in San Francisco, so I could just do it secretly. And what was the process like? Because personally, I have not gone through it at all. Honestly, it did, especially at the beginning. I remember secretly, I was really curious too. But after seeing what the judges would say and what that process is like, it was really intimidating. Was it intimidating for you as well during the what do you call rehearsal or the tryout process? Uh, yes, it was intense. Um, what people may not know is that I was standing in line among like three thousand other people, and I, in my mind, I thought I had no chance because most of the people that auditioned, they only got like fifteen to thirty seconds to sing before they were told to go home. But somehow they let the American Idol staff members let me through, and then the next day producers let me through again, and then by the time I got to see Randy, Paula, and Simon. There's only about a hundred people left. It's like, why not? There's nothing to lose at that point. So right. I just went for it. Do you think? I mean, you. I'm not sure how much of other people singing do you get to hear during the tryouts. Did you feel like you were one of the better singers at the time, or do you think they're playing a trick on you to get to let you through? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, at the time, I I didn't think much of it. I mean, it, it because. I already went through multiple rounds. I, I mean, I, my honest thought is that I did not expect to make it <laughs> because most people don't make it. Uh, and to me, if I don't make it, it's it's normal. And I didn't. But but then you know, crazy things happened. Crazy things happened. Um, help me understand. How old were you at the time, and which college were you? Where were you studying at? Yes, back that back then I was like twenty years old, and I was studying at UC Berkeley. Oh, UC Berkeley, and you were studying. Uh, I think you mentioned civil engineering at the time. Um, so you were in front. You were in among a hundred people in front of Simon, and uh, I mean the judges changed so drastically over the years. Um, tell us about what actually happened. I think what's really un unfair or kind of cruel to as part of the story is all of us had a completely different understanding uh, in a way manipulated by the media of how the story was told about you. But tell us what happened among that 100 contestants. Well, what happened was that I was just standing in line. My, my, um, my body was shaking. I was nervous inside. Uh, and when, when I finally got to audition, I didn't know what to expect. But I could tell that I'm probably not going to make it because as soon as I began my audition, Randy held a white sheet of paper to cover up his face and giggled throughout the entire audition. So the, the other one, Paula, she was smiling and enjoying herself. But then Simon was kept frowning. And I kept trying to sing, she, she bangs, she bangs. Oh, baby, when she moves, she moves. I go crazy. But Simon stopped me at the middle of my chorus, and then he said, you can't sing, you can't dance, so what are I going to say? <laughs> yeah, and I said, I, know I already gave my best. I have no regrets at all, and I thought that was it, you know? <laughs> so were you, okay, was that this round where you got eliminated, or were there additional rounds that you're part of? Uh, no, that was it. That was it, okay. Now, what happened, did you expect the rest that happened. I mean, when 
between the audition to when all these almost commercial-like, right, sneak peek inside behind the scenes stories about you come out as um, this, you know, Asian young man trying to sing. And let's just say this up front at the time in season three, or even later on, they're just really, really not, especially at that time, there were not a lot of Asian participants. Granted, there were a lot of I have to say singing karaoke is really a thing in Asia. In terms of American Idol, I didn't see as many participants. So what happened after that? Were you surprised when the all of these segments and B-rolls came out about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, at the, at the time, I was uh, shocked when I saw myself. Uh, because the first time I saw myself was like four months later. Like it was during a commercial during the Fox New Year's Cotton Bowl, and then I was thinking to myself, "Uh oh, what's going to happen to me?" Oh man, they didn't even. This is crazy. They didn't even ask, not asking for your permission, but they created a, a story without you knowing at all. Four months later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I signed off on it. I mean, I knew, I knew there's always a small chance that could happen, but but I didn't expect it. You know, there's no way to expect that one. Oh, wow. So four months later, it came out. I want to learn how the people next to you, how do people in general respond to you? And I want—I don't want to just say people in general. First, I want to delve into your close friends and family. And then I want to talk about stranger off the street or when, you know, other people who didn't know anything about you to respond to this. Could you give me a sense for that? Oh, of course. Well, at the time, I tried not to say anything, but when my parents saw it, they were shocked. They gave me a phone call, and then it's like, William, what did you just do? I saw your national television. <laughs> what, uh, were they calling from outside the country? Where, where were they living at the time? Los Angeles. Oh, they were. So they were good, good. What did you say to them? I just say I tried the audition and uh, things didn't work out and I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, I, at the time I told him, I just, it's okay, just try, nothing, nothing's going to happen. And that's why I thought as well, because just because they broadcast the audition, it doesn't mean you suddenly go viral. So I didn't expect that. I just thought people would laugh at it, whatever happens, happens, but people, I'll be soon forgotten, like most people. Right, but clearly they didn't. They didn't forget you. You became an overnight internet sensation. So tell me about how the sort of the strangers and people who didn't know you approached you after the this incident. I guess right after I I could, I could tell you. Let me backtrack back sure. just a little bit. Right after they broadcast my audition, like like I could I didn't I was so afraid that I couldn't go anywhere. Because I just hide myself in a dorm room that night, and uh, afterwards on Fox News, the news anchor John Beard, he called me out on it. He said William Hung is the worst singer ever. Yeah, and then the internet critics started uh, saying William Hung portrays the biggest Asian stereotypes. How how did you feel about? And also, let's keep in mind that you weren't—I mean, you were adult, but you're only twenty years old, and you're still in college. And how did you feel about your own self-image? And how did your classmates, in this case, or even teach professors, respond to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, after hearing that stuff that night, I mean, I was just trying not to uh, think about it. I went to sleep. Uh, I thought that next day, whatever they could say, they could say whatever they want to say. But the weird thing was that I also noticed that I got hundreds of emails for performance and interview opportunities. That's weird. <laughs> oh wow! From where do you rec- That's an interesting twist. Yeah. Yes, it was because it was. I just like everything seemed to happen at the same time, and maybe it was meant to be because my Berkeley email was easy for people to guess. It was like my name, like Berkeley Edu, right? <laughs> so maybe, yeah, maybe it turned out to be a good thing because I, I remember the so some of the first interviews I did was like Entertainment Tonight, Ryan Seacrest show. I mean, the, the next day I went back to school. What happened was that I just I was just trying to be low key. Towards the end for one of my civil engineering classes, though, my professor decided to show my audition in front of hundreds of students. Um, tell, do you still recall? I mean, hundreds of emails. What are some of the requests like? Like interviews or asking you to perform? Like, what what are some of the you know sort of requests that people sent to you? I'm I'm curious. Oh, of course, like like the, the like I said, the the first one of the first major ones that I did was Entertainment Tonight. There was Ryan Seacrest show. There was a handful of movie uh, opportunities, and then uh, some other smaller interviews. So it was it was crazy. How many did you actually end up signing up for that you responded to and actually appeared on the shows? Um, I would say not, not most of them. I had to turn down because I just couldn't do everything. Uh, I only did a handful, like, like all the major ones I did. That's why I went with. The other part, though, was that the after after my professor showed the audition, the students actually were they actually loved me. They were they like they were mobbing me after class, and I they were like asking for pictures, autographs, and that's when I realized that my life could never be normal again. Wow, in a way that. I think about the fact that your classmates knew that you're a real person, that you are not just some sort of internet prop there, someone who's fake, right? Because I think some people did think that you were fake, that you were just doing it for a one-night thing, or you're even being put there by the American Idol crew. Actually, personally, I wasn't even sure whether— it was made up or not, but because your classmates knew that you know you've been studying, you're a real person. There's almost that there's empathy involved. There's also that kind of vulnerability involved as well. Do you do you think so too? Oh yes, yes, I agree. I mean, uh, some of those friends uh, at the time they were very supportive. They they told me that you you only gonna get that opportunity once in a, once in a lifetime, so you might as well go for it. <laughs> Mm, love it. Hi there, you're listening to the Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. Today on the show, we welcome William Hong, who gained fame in early 2004 as a result of his off-key audition performance, who's here to share with you what actually happened. That, what an interesting journey. And since then, it's been 
15 years. And how long did it take for you to kind of ride the wave, ride the fame? You know, what are those uh, few years like? I think that's what you told me. I want to get a sense for that, or my listeners to get a sense for that. Oh, absolutely. So that, that, so another crazy thing that happened, right, after I get, get these interviews and, and, and uh, opportunities, my, one of my fans created my website, williamhung.net. Right now, it changed to williamhung.com, but williamhung.net uh, stood for many, many years. It still is. And at the time, somehow it got like 8 million hits in a month. Oh, my God. That was, that's, yeah, it was crazy. It was to the point where the, the website uh, crashed. And then uh, around that similar time frame, I was invited to perform at a UC Berkeley men's volleyball game. Right after my performance, yes, right after that, by my performance, one of the staff members from Coach Records, briskly walked up to me and gave me a $25,000 check for a record contract. What did you do? Uh, at the time, I tentatively accepted it. And then I took two weeks, three weeks, something like that to really think it through. And then I ultimately um, decided that I had to move, move forward with it because I felt like it wasn't as easy as people thought. I felt like uh, if I, I knew that if I were to commit to this record contract, it was a point of no return. Like I, I would literally have to give up school. I would literally have to just go all in and see what happens. And uh, the, the, the reason I was able to come to that conclusion was because I really had two choices. The way I look at it, one is that I embrace being the she bangs guy, or, or the other one is to just hide in fear and hope people will forget about me. But I had, I feel that in my life, I have to, I need to choose to stand up for myself. I want people to know my story. I want people to know who I am. Uh, not just the, the, like you said, you know, the potentially fabricated version of the story that people are, are circulating. Right. So you accepted the record deal and you actually produced yes. the record. Yes, actually three albums. Oh my God. Three albums. What are, uh, over the course of how long? A year, three years? Uh, I, yeah, it's around like two or three years, maybe. Uh, and then the first album, Inspiration, I don't know how it happened. It was the number one independent album on Billboard. What was the approach for some of the songs? How did you, I mean, how did you, were they uh, original songs written for you? Or what, what was that approach? Uh, mostly cover songs, just a few original songs here and there. And the, 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 to be honest, the approach for the record company is to just get the albums out as soon as possible. Like, like strike, you know, the, you heard the phrase before, strike the iron while it's hot. Yeah. So that's what they went for. So, wow. So over the course of two to three years, and the first album went out approximately how long after the American Idol incident? Uh, maybe two to three months. I remember it was like March, April. It was real quick. Mm-hmm. Did you end up quitting school at the time for the album to release? Yes, I did. I finally did it. I talked to my counselor at Berkeley, and he told me he, he totally understands my situation. He totally supports me. If I ever want to go back to school, I have an unconditional uh, letter to go back anytime. Oh, did you end up going back to school or no? I thought about it, but no, because the, like, like now, like I, I'm starting to ride that wave. And I, I rode that wave for like four years. 
traveling, performing everywhere. Yes. Interesting. I want to get a sense for uh, you have the album. What else are some of the highlights and things that were unforgettable during the four years that you're riding the wave? Unforgettable. I mean, I I met met so many celebrities. Some of the shows I've been on, like Alan and Jay Leno, I'll never forget for the for my entire life. Oh wow! Uh, and the, and the, yeah, and the coolest thing is that I get to travel around the world. Like I've been to, I go to places that I would never thought myself would go. Where did you go? So the, the best. I went to like Iceland, Malaysia, Singapore. I even shot a movie in Hong Kong. Wow. So you travel around the world. So you enjoy that experience very much. Um, do you recall what Jay Leno and uh, Ellen were asking about you on the show? Like, what, what was their focal point? Were they still focused on American Idol? Were they asking more questions about what you were doing in that moment in time? Like, have you moved on? You know, things like that. Oh, that, that back then it, it it was definitely focused on American Idol. I don't remember because it's such a long time ago. But I remember the interview was very very short because of, of the timing. Mm. So I want to kind of talk about at the end of those four years, things started to trend down. Can you tell us about how you felt? How first of all, how you noticed the trend that was going down? The wave was kind of fading and what some what are some of the actions that you've taken since then well i knew that i was getting less opportunities as i went along i i, I never gave up but but i i knew that i can i couldn't even sustain myself if i were to just keep going with that direction so that's why that's when i decided to finish school i got my math degree uh in from cal state northridge and then i i got my day job and I just thought that was it, you know, because in my, I thought for many years, I had my fun. It's okay. Financially, I'm stable. I don't have to chase the dream anymore. I just thought I would settle. But then last year, towards the beginning of last year, somehow, I don't know what it was. Something hit me in my heart that I shouldn't settle. I should go for it because I, I'm capable of so much more. Mm-hmm. So... Getting the the timeline is very intriguing to me. So American Idol happened when you were 20. So around, I would say around the age of 24, 25 is when you went back to school, got a full-time job. So, you know, as of early last year, that's another, let's say, five to six years after the, in, you know, after things felt like that they have wrapped up a bit, right? And you've got your full-time job and all that. So you started to reconsider what are some of the other possibilities and so I think we can begin talking about the ideas that you're you're having and you know what was what was it like what are some of the things that you felt like you wanted to do and kind of maybe missed out on having a persona that was chosen for you for so long Yeah I just felt like like um I felt like when when I do my day job I don't feel like I'm myself Yeah I mean I'm solving problems for people and making a difference but I don't feel that that, that I'm making a huge impact you know being the average cubicle guy. So you start building out your own business uh, nearly, I guess it was a little over a year ago. What are some of the areas, uh, kind of things that you're looking into to kind of explore? Well, I, I was definitely uh, committed to professional speaking. I have that vision in my head that I want to inspire the world again by sharing my American Idol story, like telling people to never give up their dreams. I had that vision. 
And I've been working on that vision. So I've been traveling everywhere, speaking everywhere a lot last year. But one major problem was that uh, it's not easy to make a living as a professional speaker. At the time, I I didn't have any coaching program in place. And I just started working on it beginning of this year. So last year, it was a good learning experience. I mean, I, I got paid here and there. But I'm not really coming out way ahead. You know, I can't be, let's just say that I, I cannot be a successful entrepreneur if I follow that same direction as last year. So what are some of the things you did last year you thought were the right things to do? Or, you know, on the other hand, some of the things that you felt maybe wasted your time and, you know, weren't as effective. The reason is this. As an entrepreneur or freelancer, those questions sound easy, but the answers are rather difficult, you know, because it's hard to know, especially at that moment in time, instead of now and looking backward retrospectively, it's really hard in that moment to know precisely if you're doing the right or the wrong things or somewhere in between that. Like, how did you assess that all that? Well, um, I, I just knew that towards the, uh, the end of last year, I wasn't getting to anywhere close to where I need to be to be uh, not to sustain myself over the long term as an entrepreneur. And then I look back at it, the things that went right was that I got a lot of exposure. I spoke on some very nice stages. I mean, like I said, I got paid here and there for keynotes. But, but, I, but like, I look at the math. The math doesn't make sense because I, 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 when I look back at it, it's like even if I were to get like 10, get 10 speaking engagements and getting paid like $5,000 each, that's only 50,000. That's not, that's not a very, that's not, a, that's not a great life. You know, uh, even though my, we can't really like focus on money first, I have to be honest, you know, in terms of how can we have a lifestyle that makes sense, that's enjoyable, that gives us freedom. So I could tell right away that doesn't work. Uh, that's when I, uh, I had to start, start making some changes. Uh, another thing that I have felt that, that I need to make changes for like this year moving forward was that last year, I just took every single opportunity, regardless if it's free or paid. Because I was just thinking, okay, well, just get, my, get, my, get the word out there, get people to remember me again, all that stuff. I mean, this year, I feel that that's not necessary. I feel that I can do less and still achieve more. So I, I should be more selective. Hi there, you're listening to the Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. Today on the show, we welcome William Hong, who gained fame in early 2004 as a result of his off-key audition performance, who's here to share with you what actually happened. So definitely, that's very helpful. I think that's a struggle a lot of businesses and a lot of uh, individual, you know, solopreneurs would have. And honestly, something I also, I'm trying to work on for myself, which is finding more ideal clients, right? And then how to spend less time marketing and selling yourselves and more focusing on client work. Because when you work for yourself, you're essentially doing everything and time feels so limited. Instead of having a full-time job where you feel like you're mentally there nine to five, 
when you have your own business, it's 24-7. So, you know, what are, I know that you're taking courses and you have your mastermind group. What is uh, your target or ideal clients? Because what if people are listening to this podcast or thinking, okay, William Hung is a public speaker and um, would I be qualified to be his client? Would he benefit um, my employees or my company as a speaker? How do you share that story? How do you kind of articulate that? Or maybe it's still a work in progress. That's a, that's a great question because uh, my, my, my ideal clients evolve quite a bit in terms of who I really want to serve. So I feel to, uh, the honest answer is, is a work in progress. But now I, I would say I'm much more clear compared to the beginning of this year when I really want to go for the coaching as well. And I would say right now, as of right now, I want to focus on helping people find their courageous voice so they can have a prosperous, fulfilling life. Sounds like you're targeting more individuals than companies. Am I correct? Yes. So I think you have a very interesting backstory because of American Idol that people could relate to that. But people talk about reinventing themselves. And when I think about you, I think about, yes, reinvention as well as rebranding yourself. In a way, what you have gone through is that much more difficult, I must say, because there was a persona forced upon you. Granted, there are a lot of good things that came out of it, but still in a way that you have to take an image out of what's in people's head or rewrite it. That process, in a way, I think it's harder than for someone who was never really known in the world, really the unsung heroes. And instead of calling reinventing themselves, they can pretty much paint any picture they want to a degree, right? So tell us about your own rebranding and reinvention process. I think that will eventually kind of feed into your coaching and your speaking program. But I want to know what are some of the things that you did to kind of peel away and and kind of you know, be reborn out of uh, the first, you know, the past 10 to 15 years? Oh, that's a great question because, because I, I thought about like initially when I, when I thought about my vision for helping people transform lives, I initially came up with like helping coaches and consultants become courageous leaders. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then I tried, I experimented another uh, idea in terms of helping people build coach, their own coaching programs based on all the stuff I've been studying from other people, from other solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, things like that. And then now, but then people gave me some feedback and they told me that I really should uh, emphasize something related to having courage or turning fears into courage because that gives me the most credibility. So now I really going for something along the lines of helping people find that courageous voice because I feel that I want to work with people that want to build their own business using speaking. So that's, I want to capture that. So you want to help individuals to also become speakers like yourself? Uh, yes. I mean, I mean like, like, because speaking is, um, it's hard to, it's hard to um, define sometimes. I mean, the picture I, I have, like, it's not necessarily someone that just speak at live events, make this huge offers. I mean, of course, those people I, I can help, but I feel I should uh, widen a bit here. I mean, anybody that wants to build their own program, uh, they don't have anything in place. I feel that I can be a valuable resource because I've been through it. I now have something in place. So I, I, that's, that's, uh, those are the best people I can work with. 
I see. Interesting. So one of the things that I find challenging, which you did point out, is the fact that when you are an entrepreneur and you're trying to find in trying to help individuals rather than companies, I find that also number one challenge is the financial gains. So if again, you know, if money is not that important to you for whatever reason, then you can help anybody in the world and charge any amount you want, right? But like yes. you said, right, is if it's an engagement of five thousand dollars, it's actually a lot for companies to hire a speaker. Um Therefore, like you said, in the best case scenario, 10 of them is only $50,000. So in this case, have you thought about if you were to hire or help, sorry, if you were to help individuals achieve their dreams, would it be challenging moving forward from a financial standpoint? Or do you think about possibly creating an online course of some sort or mastermind group where, you know, you don't have to work for every dollar but instead, it's more of a more of a passive income revenue structure where you put the courses out there, and people who are drawn towards your message will will download and will share. You know. Okay. Um, well, my 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 plan is to run uh, group coaching programs and mastermind. Uh, and the reasoning behind that one is because I feel that's the best that's the best model to make it scalable, to make it easy for everybody to have access to me. Because group coaching, I could just do it on the form. I could run six to eight week program and it's and the structure is very simple. So it's not too hard to run. So that's that's what I'm gonna go with. In terms of additional passive income online courses, I'll definitely get that in uh, have that in place as well. A little bit farther down the road. I would say that that's not my my highest priority. I feel that I should just get the group coaching started, get some clients I can help. Uh, and then as I'm progressing through that, I'll have my material together. Then I can do the online course. There's definitely a lot of people that made it work for them in terms of having like online course models. But for personally, for me, I'm not a big fan of it. And the reason is because I feel that you know, even for me, when I buy an online course, I need so much uh, hands-on. I need so much support and feedback in order to implement it correctly. But I would say for people that wants to, that would join my program, I mean, I don't mind just giving it to them for free so that they have, the, uh, have a point of reference. They have tools they can use. But I don't know about like, like just relying on online course you know, to pay for everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're certainly, you're not the only person who has, sharing, who have shared this sort of a perspective. I remember Margot Aaron from an earlier episode said exact same thing and other entrepreneurs I've spoken with. So we have a few minutes left and I want you to share your vision of the podcast that you're working on. You know, why did you start your own podcast and who are some of the people that you're going after as guests on your show? Of course. So my podcast, I just started uh, early this month. It's called From Fear to Courage. Uh, my first episode is just on iTunes. And the people I want to invite to be my, on my show, I would say there could be all walks of life, very diverse. And uh, I wa- the people I want are people who have overcame their fears. They turn their fears into courage. So it could be nonprofit missionaries. It could be other entrepreneurs, other leaders. So I want to give uh, people a diverse perspective, uh, and then they could get a lot of value out of it, whether it's from the health field, whether it's from financial, um, everything. So 
a couple of things I also want to ask is, you know, I am connected to a network of podcasters, seasoned, both seasoned as well as people are just starting out. In particular, this very year, I would say end of 2017 and into the beginning of 2018, is the time where I, I have been seeing the most, the biggest number of new podcasters joining this sort of the cohort of, I would say, independent, you know, non-major media or mainstream uh podcasting movement. So, you know, what are some of the lessons you've learned so far you would like to share with my listeners? Because I know some of them want to become podcasters themselves. Like, what are some of the the beginning lessons and and pain points you've experienced so far? Certainly. So I would say that for podcasting, you you kind of need to know what your end goal is. So my end goal for having this new podcast is to build relationships with people. It's not about money. It's about learning from the other person uh, and, and then in figuring out those what, what are some things that I can use to improve my business, improve how I connect with other people, how I can help people. But if your primary purpose is to get millions of downloads like JLD on EO Fire, then that's a very different story. <laughs> um, in terms of your format, are you asking the same set of questions? Are you articulating different questions for different guests? Have you thought about that? Um, while my format is, is very loose, I generally focus on the, their back-end stories, their vision, their accomplishments, as well as their challenges. But the way I do it is um, I intentionally make it loose. And that's because I want to dig deep based on what I'm getting. So because before, one thing I learned about podcasting, because I, even though I did only one episode, I already have like six or seven. I'm already editing. And what I learned from doing all that is that I don't like the idea of having preset questions because then it restricts my ability to go deeper into a, you know, something that's interesting. So that's my preference, and that's that's how I approach it uh, in terms of improving my podcast. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, William. Uh, if people want to find you, learn more about some of the things that you're working on, what is the best way for them to connect? Uh, j- just go to my website, willhung.com. So it's W-I-L-L-H-U-N-G.com. Fantastic. And you're on social media as well? Where, where are you? Uh, yes, I am now uh, most active on Facebook, but I, because I have some help from a software, like, like basically it's, like a, it's called Co-Scheduler. So I could, I could just post one thing on Facebook and it'll automatically go to uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. So uh, all, all the major platforms, you can probably find it. Hi there, it's me again. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode, and I hope you were able to learn a few things. If you enjoyed what you heard, it will be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the Face Royal podcast. It literally takes seconds. If you're on your mobile phone, just search for Face Royal podcast in the podcast app on iPhone or an Android app such as Podcast Addict and click subscribe. All new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks so much for your support.